I, uh, I meant to have a PowerPoint this, this morning, but I, I guess I for, forgot it or I didn't put it on my, my flash drive. It's somewhere on my computer at home. But on there was going to be words from a song written in 1983. A really, really old song tells you how um, my, my era <laughs> and uh, the Christian song. And some of you old folks may remember Stephen Taylor. Um, <clears throat> but in this song, he says, <clears throat> can't understand those Christians. So you type us all in stereo. They're hypocrites. They're such a bore. Come on in. There's room for one more. <clears throat> Vintage Christian music. Today we're going to be spending our time dealing with, with that topic, the topic of hypocrisy, and hypocrisy being one of those great sins that Jesus harshly condemns. You know, it's interesting because he has compassion on a woman caught in adultery, but he has very harsh words towards um, hypocrites. Last week we talked about legalism, and we mentioned that Uh, hypocrisy is the sister of legalism. They tend to go hand in hand. They are definitely related to one another. And so today we're going to be dealing with this issue of hypocrisy. And we'll be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. So imagine that Luke chapter 12. I think we're now about halfway through the book of Luke. So I don't know how long we've been here, but we are now about halfway through. Woohoo! And um, so hypocrisy. Before we delve into our text today, what I do want to do is make sure that we understand the setting in which this particular um, admonition or warning takes place. I think that's one of the great uh, advantages of talking through a particular book of the Bible is we get to see the flow of the speech. We get to see what the setting is. And all we need to do is remind ourselves periodically of of where the setting is because this particular warning um, comes after um, another warning of rejecting the words of Christ. Jesus warns people of those who reject his words. It also follows after his chastisement of religious leaders for their legalism. But it's set in, in the context of a much larger section, chapter Chapter 12, verses 1 through 48, once again continues this theme of discipleship. Remember, all the way, pretty much since Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been talking about what it means to be a disciple. And this is important because Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is going to die be buried, resurrected, and then ascend into heaven. And when he's gone, who's going to take up the work, take up the work that he began? It's going to be his disciples. His disciples are going to take up that work. So he's investing a lot of time in his disciples who will then make disciples, who will then make disciples, who will then make disciples right down to us today who are the fruit of those first disciples and we then make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You can see how this theme continues on. So this is an incredibly important section for us to understand because Jesus 
Jesus is informing and teaching and training his disciples how to carry on his work and pass it on to the next generation. And some of the things we'll be learning as we go forward over the next few weeks is that, number one, disciples must fear God and make God their priority. And we'll be dealing with that a bit today. We will learn that disciples are not reliant upon material things. And Number three, that disciples are accountable to God. That is, we share God's priority is one of the callings of what it means to be a follower or a disciple of Christ. So that's kind of the context where this or the setting where this uh, account that we'll be looking at today takes place. So let me give you just a brief overview, a brief preview of today's message. That's the setting. We've looked a little bit about where we've been in the past. We've looked a little bit about where we're going to go in the next few weeks. So let's deal with what are we going to talk about today? And our message is very simple. Avoid hypocrisy. That's it. Avoid hypocrisy. Oh, well, I'm a preacher. That can't be it. We've got to have more than that. So there are going to be, we're going to talk about two environments where hypocrisy thrives, or at least it becomes a temptation to us. So I want to deal with two environments where hypocrisy um, thrives or is a temptation. And to remember that the that God's care of his people is the antidote to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, then, is the, the, the disease, and remembering God's loving care of his people is the antidote to that virus. So with that, let's go ahead and read. Um, follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. God's holy and inerrant word. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Our Father, we give you praise and thanks that you value those, your children, your friends. Father, let us never forget your great care for us, even in trying times, even when it's difficult, even during the threat of persecution or the threat of popularity, Lord God. Let us remember your great care and worship you and make you our priority. Now, imprint these words on our heart, Lord God, and open our ears that we might hear what you would have for us to know. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to talk, mainly we're going to talk about two situations where hypocrisy breeds. And those two situations or those two environments where hypocrisy can grow easily are number one, popularity, and number two, persecution. Now, I understand perfectly well that hypocrisy is ultimately a heart issue. But it is in these two environments that provide fertile soil for this worthless crop of hypocrisy to take root and grow up. So I want you to I, I don't want to ignore the idea that hypocrisy is a heart issue, but there are certain environments 
um, certain situations that might provide fertile ground for hypocrisy to take root. Just like, uh, well, all sin is really a heart issue, isn't it? I mean, if you if you struggle with uh, substance abuse, perhaps you want to... Uh, you learn how to recognize situations and environments where that type of activity might be going on. Maybe um, if you struggle with alcohol, um, you realize that the office party or what have you is one of those situations where um, that's going to be present. And you take notice of it and, and you go into that situation. You may not be able to avoid it, but you are prepared and to recognize the, those triggers and to, to help be strong in that environment. And hypocrisy is a heart issue. And so we just want to point out where some of these environments where it could easily breathe and take over our lives and become a sin before God. So the first thing we want to recognize then, there are these two environments where hypocrisy easily breeds and its popularity and persecution. The next thing I want to do is before we get started, let's just define what we mean by hypocrisy and then we'll get into the text. And hypocrisy is just one of those... You've probably heard teaching on this. Hypocrisy is just a term that comes out of the theater, right? Um, It has to do with one who plays a part or one who wears a mask. Um, One who is uh, not as they seem to be. Pretends to be one thing while in reality is someone else. And so it's literally somebody who wears a mask. It's an actor. That's what a hypocrite is. One who plays a part. We've put on airs, we pretend to be something when in reality we are something completely different. And so Jesus is going to condemn this. And probably one of our best examples, one of the best biblical examples of hypocrisy, unfortunately, is one of the great saints of the Bible, and that's Peter. And we see this in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 and following. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I, this is Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Peter was living hypocritically. He was saying one thing, and then when the pressure was on, either it was pressure for fear of persecution or fear of popularity, he began to act a different way. And Paul called him out and said, no, you're being two-faced. You're being double-minded. You're playing a part. You're putting on a mask. And that's not the right way to do things. And so here's the thing. This is Peter, one of the great saints of the Bible. If he is susceptible to this thing, and Barnabas, if they're susceptible to this, if, if them, how much more? Us? Peter saw the risen Lord. Walked with an ate fish with the risen Christ. Had a vision and understood the Jew and Gentile. There was no distinction between the two. And yet when the pressure was on, he separated himself and made sure that he pleased the, the, um, uh, the Jewish party and showed disdain for the Gentile party. 
even though God had revealed to him clearly. And he'd even preached Jew and Gentile the same. He'd done everything right. And now, out of fear or perhaps out of um, um, wanting to be, be accepted, he showed, he succumbed to hypocrisy. Godly men were swayed by it. So let's look a little more closely at our text. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the way this, this, um, this chapter or this incident is, is introduced. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. So we should note that this idea of popularity, there are unruly crowds um, prompt Jesus to give a lesson to his disciples. In other words, everybody wants to see Jesus. They're trampling on one another to get to hear what Jesus has to say. His popularity has increased. People are banging down the doors and trampling over one another just to hear what he has to say. And Jesus takes this opportunity where the crowds have raised him up and want to be part of whatever it is he's doing, Jesus takes this opportunity to turn to his disciples and teach them a lesson about hypocrisy. I think it's just a fascinating way um, that this account opens up. Because we need to understand that popularity may become a temptation to remain popular, which leads to a double life. I mean, if you're, I mean, we all want to be popular, right? If you were in school and popular, you want to remain popular. If you were in school and not popular, you wanted to become popular. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted. But the fear here is that the, in the environment of popularity, we would try so hard to maintain it that we would then soften God's message. Or perhaps we would begin to compromise what God has told us to do. Because if we maintain a consistent and biblical message of what God has called us to do, we might lose our popularity. We might lose um, the adoration of the crowd. Because peer pressure is powerful. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. But the bottom line is this. Popularity is fleeting. Crowds are fickle. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples, do not entrust yourself to the fleeting and fickle. I mean, just don't forget that this crowd, and not too long, of a, too long after this, this crowd that is trampling over one another to hear what Jesus has to say will be trampling over one another to put them on a cross. So if you are popular today, I I think the only thing that um, is probably more enjoyed in culture than lifting somebody up and seeing somebody succeed and do well is to knock them down. And so the the crowd that lifts you up and calls you and makes you somebody or something is going to love it and rejoice when you are knocked down. And Jesus is saying, be careful now. Popularity is fine. But watch it. 
Don't let that be the means by which you compromise your message. And we see this in, in churches and in ministries and in people all the time. We, we get to a place, and it's like in order to maintain this momentum, to, or in order to maintain where I'm at, I've got to become something other than what I truly am. So Jesus now uses a situation to instruct his disciples to avoid hypocrisy. And he says, be on your guard against the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, the idea of leaven or yeast is used both positively and negatively in Scripture. And here Jesus uses it in a negative sense. So what is he talking about? Why does he use this, this illustration, this image of yeast or, or leaven to uh, speak of hypocrisy. And I've often understood, for me, what, what works really well um, or makes sense of this idea of leaven uh, or yeast is that of influence. So yeast, you all know, it doesn't take much, right? A little bit in a, in a lump of dough and it, and it fills a whole lump of dough. It influences everything. And, and, and the whole lump of dough gets infected, if you will, or affected or influenced by this little bit of yeast and the whole lump is influenced by and, and it's invisible. You don't see it. Once it's in there, you can't, you, can't, you can't pull the yeast out. Once it's in there, you can't pull it out. It's just there. All right? And so it's, it's this idea of um, this slow, this insidious, this secretive, penetrating power of Influence. It is then the desire to impress, the desire to gain men's favor and avoid opposition. And so Jesus is saying, avoid the, the, the yeast, that influence, that secretive influence of the Pharisees, which, is, which will creep into your life and influence you to the point where you will desire the applause of men over the applause of God, where you will fear men before you'll fear God. Be careful of that. Don't let that creep into your life. Don't let that become uh, an area that causes you to stumble. Here's the promise. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And here's the promise. Here's why. Now Jesus, Jesus tells us beware, but then he gives us a very practical reason why this is foolish. Here's the foolishness of hypocrisy. God already knows. All right? God's not fooled. You may fool men. You may fool your pastor. Your pastor may fool you. But here's the foolishness of hypocrisy. It doesn't fool God. So he goes on and he, and, and he says, for... Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you've whispered in private room shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Hypocrisy does not work because one day the mask will be removed. And here Jesus talks about both action and speech will be revealed by God who knows all secrets. There's nothing that escapes God. There are no walls that will seclude. There are no whispers that are too soft to escape the Lord's hearing. I remember Simone and I were in Washington, D.C. in the spring. And it was a good trip. And we went to the Capitol building and we went into the rotunda, this big domed room. And it was really cool. But one of the things that was most fascinating to me was the acoustics of the room. 
I don't understand the science of acoustics. But it was fascinating. It was this domed room, and it was large. Bigger than this, this room. It's a large building. But here's the cool thing. If you talk, even in hushed tones, at one end of the room, on one side of the room, you could hear it on the other side. The acoustics of the dome. This is why they, they, they used to have their meetings. You know, Congress had meetings in this dome. They stopped doing that. Because I could talk very quietly on this side and you could hear me loud and clear on the other side. There were no secrets. There are no secrets before God. You can't whisper soft enough that God is not going to hear what you have to say. And you can't act in such a way that is so private, so hidden, that God, it is not revealed before a holy God. So Jesus says, watch out, beware of the hypocrisy or the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And by the way, it's just foolishness. Because you're going to fool a lot of people, but not God to whom we will give an account. So hypocrisy in and of itself is just, well... Foolish is a nice word. Stupid is probably more appropriate. And notice that there is nothing that will be, um, nothing hidden that will be revealed. So we often think of that in the negative, and I suppose that is true. That may even be the intent here, um, that uh, things that we do and say that are not in alignment with God's purpose and laws will be revealed. But also remember this. Even the righteous deeds that we do will not be forgotten by God because oftentimes we do things that seem that, that are right. And the crowd condemns. I want you to know you will be vindicated before God Almighty. So this works both positively and negatively. The, positive, the negative side is, is there are no secrets, so let's, it's just foolish. The positive side is do what's right, even when the crowd condemns and mocks and jeers, because God hears and sees, and you will be vindicated. In fact, I would say one of the great messages of the book of Revelation is vindication of the saints. So oftentimes we read Revelation for a, a lot of different things, um, like to see when the end of the world was, which is yesterday. Um, missed it by that much. But one of the great themes of the book of Revelation is the vindication of the saints, how, how the world has condemned the saints of God, um, mocked them, jeered them, considered them the evil ones, and then... And even put them to death because of their so-called wickedness. But then, before Almighty God, he vindicates them. He says, no, you're not the guilty ones. You're the innocent ones. And so vindication is a big theme. We see the, the, the saints beneath the throne of God or beneath the altar saying, how long? How long until you vindicate us? How long until you avenge us? How long till you make things right? And much of the book of Revelation is God um, dealing with that very question. And in the end, he, he vindicates all of those who have been put to death unrighteously before a wicked, um, before wickedness. And he brings their deeds to light and their deeds are righteous. So vindication is part of what God sees. Well, the first thing we saw here then is this environment of popularity. What we've done is we've tried to define what hypocrisy is. We've, we've tried to show that popularity is one of those environments that can 
breed hypocrisy because once we're popular or once we're accepted, once we're loved, um, we want to maintain that acceptance, love, and popularity, which can often lead to compromising the things that God has called us to do. And Jesus warns us against that and tells us that it's foolishness to do that and that hypocrisy just doesn't work. So popularity would be the first area or first environment that can breed hypocrisy. The second is that of persecution. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. And he goes on and says, fear God, not man. I love how this passage begins. I tell you, my friends, Note this, I tell you, my friends, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Remember, there's a whole crowd. This crowd is is trampling upon themselves to hear the words of Christ. But what does Jesus do? He turns and he speaks to his disciples. I'm not saying that the crowd didn't hear anything he was saying. I'm simply saying his message is to his people. His message is to his followers. My friends, this is what I'm telling you. You, I guess one other question we'd have to ask, are, are you God's friend? Because the Bible talks about friends of God not simply because you exist or you're a friend of God, but we're friends of God because we're sons and daughters of God by adoption through His Son, Jesus Christ. You're not a follower of Christ. Um, You are, as Ephesians tells us, a child of wrath by nature, a child of wrath. But born again, child of God, heir of Jesus, heir of God, heir of all the promises. My friends, this is who I'm talking to. The disciples are the targets of this world. Be careful of persecution. Watch out because persecution is a powerful influence to wear a mask because nobody, nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be unliked and nobody wants to suffer. And so it's easy to put on a mask when times get hard. See, fear of man presents an obstacle between the soul of man and of heaven because we always wonder, what are people going to think of me? What will they do to me? I mean, half the time, perhaps I wonder if our evangelism is weakened. I can speak personally. Oftentimes, evangelism, the words out of my own mouth either get muted or, well, often muted. Because the idea, I wonder what they're going to think. I wonder what they're going to say. I wonder what they're going to think of me. J.C. Ryle says this, Thousands would never hesitate a moment to storm a breach or face a lion who dare not face the laughter of relatives, neighbors, and friends. I've stood face to face to a bear Clapped my hands and he ran away. But fear, the mocking, the laughing, the opinion of neighbors, friends, and relatives. Caution, persecution is an environment where hypocrisy breeds. And he goes on and he says, "Here, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. 
The idea here is man's reach is limited. And I want you to understand, man's reach may be limited, but it's real. Man really can do damage. Man really can kill the body. Man really can cause great suffering to us. He can do that. And there's a couple of things we should, or at least one thing we should consider here. This implies that Jesus does not deliver from every difficulty. Sometimes Jesus does not save the life. Sometimes people just die for the cause of Christ. You see that throughout history. I, I, I think we're influenced by this idea that seems popular out there that Jesus will never let anything bad happen to you. Well, that's just not true. It mocks every martyr who has given their life for the cause of Christ. He didn't deliver them, at least not from the hands of men. Don't fear the, the man who can kill the body. Man's reach is limited. It's real. Because he actually can kill the body. And he actually can cause great suffering. It's just say, don't fear that. Because man's power is real. Man's power is strong. But man's power is not ultimate. This is who you fear. Well, First of all, we should, the second thing we should note is that Jesus recognizes that his disciples will face opposition from men who hate the gospel. Do you realize that? Jesus is, is affirming that his disciples will face opposition from people who hate the gospel. They hated him. They will hate his servants. They will hate his disciples. That, that is the, the original disciples. And the and disciples after them will also be hated because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand the cross perhaps is the greatest offense of the Christian faith. Sometimes we hear people say, oh, I don't go to church, there's too many hypocrites. Hypocrites are not the greatest offense of the Christian faith. The greatest offense of the Christian faith to an unbeliever is the cross of Jesus Christ because the cross of Jesus Christ condemns them. Jesus hung on a cross, bore God's wrath for our sin. The cross is a demonstration that we are sinners against God and our need of somebody to help us. And it is a great offense to tell somebody that you have sinned against a holy God, that you are not righteous in and of yourself. The cross is the blaring neon sign that says you in and of yourself have fallen short of the glory of God and you are in need of God's gift of salvation. And you cannot do it yourself that the cross where Jesus hung is the place where redemption is purchased. It is an offense to those who despise God. So when we come with the gospel, don't be surprised when there's opposition because we are presenting them with the greatest offense. And yet, to those who are the saved, it is the greatest truth and it is the greatest symbol and it is the greatest um, work that you and I can imagine because it was there that Jesus Christ bore God's wrath for our sins and gave, uh, made us his righteousness. For us, it is... One of the greatest truths in all the scripture, but for those who are perishing, it is a complete offense. When we are faithful to God's truth, don't be surprised when you are despised. But don't put on a mask to save your reputation or save your life. Do not fear man who can only kill the body. This is who you ought to fear. Fear God 
or fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. The remedy of the fear of man is the fear of God. This is a solution to the issue that is presented above. The, the, the issue above is don't fear man. Well, it's easy for you to tell me what to do. Is there, can you tell me how to do that? Great, don't fear, don't fear man. How? Jesus gives us a remedy. Make God your greatest priority. Fear God. By fearing God, you will not fear man. By revering and loving God above all things. Two reasons, then, I think are given to fear God, to love God, to revere God over that of man. Number one, God has power that extends beyond this limited life. He has the power to cast into hell or the power to cast into Gehenna. And Gehenna is, is just, it was a valley, the Valley of Hinnon, and it was the place where dead bodies were thrown garbage was thrown. It was literally always on fire. It was the place where um, human sacrifice had been made in the Old Testament. It was a despicable place. The people understood this word. He has the authority to cast into Gehenna, or we translate hell. And, And one of the interesting things about this is that Jesus is speaking of the reality of eternal judgment. Jesus is saying there is eternal judgment. And God has the authority to not only take physical life, but to judge you eternally. So the first reason we fear God over man is simply because his authority extends when this life ends. Man's life, once you're dead, man's life, man has no authority over you. God has authority while you live and after you die. So whom should you stand in awe of? Whom should you revere? Whom should you give your allegiance to? You should give your fear and allegiance and reverence and awe to the God who is Lord over the living and the dead. In other words, the life that counts is the life to come. First reason why we fear God over man is because God's power extends beyond physical life. Here's the second reason. Because of God's loving care. This is the positive side. The negative side is because God can judge. But the positive side is don't forget God's loving care for his people. And he goes on and he says this. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You're of more value than many sparrows. This is one of those how much more arguments. We've talked about this in the past. This is one of those how much more arguments. If, if God cares about birds that are sold for two pennies, how much more those whom he sent his son to suffer and die for? There's no real comparison. Five birds are sold for a couple of pennies. They, I believe they were the, the least expensive thing in the marketplace. I've even read accounts where, you know, like buy five, get the six one free type deal. And that's not a, a Western idea. It's like, you know, we just need to get rid of these things. These things don't cost anything. They are of no value. 
And if God cares for that which has little value, how much more does he care for you whom he has called and he has saved? God cares about the least of his creation and knows even seemingly insignificant truths about you, including the number of hairs on your head. He knows these things. How much more? And then we go back to remember who this is being addressed to. My friends. Jesus is addressing this to my friends. He's addressing this to the disciples, not the crowd. And so, why do we revere and honor and have awe of God over man? Well, two reasons. Number one, he has authority over both life and death. He has authority over eternal life and eternal death. But even more, he has, he loves and cares for those who are his friends. Fear not. God's providential care for his creation is a comforting truth. His care for you is even greater. God cares and is aware of even the most instances of the cricket that dies out in the field that you and I would never know about, God is aware of. How much more you, whom he sent his son to die for? Remember, he is, he is your God and he is your father. He is sovereign and he will vindicate you. So fear not. So don't be, you don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to act apart. Even when trials and difficulties and persecution come, remember that man is not ultimate. God is ultimate. And God's ultimate care is for you. And he will raise you up on the last day. So fear him. Don't wear the mask. Knowing that God will vindicate us. You are his friends. And even if man's power um, even if man's limited power ends our life, God's ultimate power will raise us to eternal life. This is why we fear God. This is why we have awe of God. This is why we revere Him. This is why He's our priority. So two things, or well, a couple of things. Um, Jesus begins by using this opportunity, the, the crowds as an opportunity to, to teach his disciples, don't wear a mask. Don't be somebody you aren't. Two environments where these things can crop up and become uh, a, a place of temptation. Number one, when everything's going well and you're popular and well-loved, don't let that lead to a compromise or a watering down of God's truth. And also, the second environment is under persecution. When there's fear, it's easy to put on a mask and try to be somebody you're not so that you don't have to endure pain because nobody wants us to endure unpleasantries. And so we easily put on a mask. Jesus is saying, no, the remedy to that is to remember who God is. Remember, God is Lord over life and death, and he is the Lord of eternal life, and he will give you eternal life. And also, he cares for you. He is not going to abandon you. He will keep you. You are of greater value than anything else that he has made. So let those two, those, let, let these things then be reasons for us to lay aside the mask, to stop play acting, to stop pretending, and be the people that God has called us to be. I'll conclude with this. Once again, this is all about discipleship. This is all about following Christ. This is all about what it means to live out the life that God has called us to. And the first thing is that God is to be our priority. Folks, we're new creations. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. So let's not cover that up with a mask. What a sad thing, isn't it? 
God has made you his own. God has made you a new creation. God is conforming you to the image of Christ. And then we want to cover that up. We want to disguise that. Oh, no, I'm not a new creation. Oh, no, I'm not being conformed into the image of Christ. I'm going to cover that up. I'm going to mask it. I'm going to put some big sheet over me so nobody can see that. Don't be a hypocrite. God has conformed you, is conforming you to the image of Christ. You are a new creation. Let that be a declaration to a lost and dying world. Don't put on the mask. Don't let fame or fear, popularity or persecution be the means or be the temptation or the cause of us putting on a mask. Let Christ shine forth. Let Christ come through. Let us be single-minded, unswayed by culture and by society telling us that this is the way we need to be. And if, you're, if you actually follow God, you must be a, a hater. Don't, don't be swayed by that. And ultimately, we need to remember this. Your best life now is still to come. Spend a couple moments and just uh, reflect on this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about what he'd have us to learn from this passage of text. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for being hypocrites. Forgive me. Many times I've worn a mask. Made myself out to be something that I'm not. Yet you have made me in, and you are making, you've made me in your image. You've created us and conforming us to the image of your son. Let that be the image we present. Let that be the truth that goes forth. Have mercy upon us, Lord God, I pray. Um, like all sin, you f- you're willing to forgive, even hypocrites. Even that, Lord God. Even that you will forgive. So have mercy upon us, Lord God, and let us live truthfully this week. Live out the cause that you've called us to. Live out what you have desired in us. And let us be truthful, accurate representations of the God and the Christ who has um, loved us and saved us and filled us with the Holy Spirit. So grant us favor and mercy. Amen.